And welcome to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck. And the universe is getting bigger and bigger, as we've seen from some of the photographs from space. Email your questions to spitzersuniverse at ew10.com. That's a really important part of the show. And check out all of Father Spitzer's many websites, themagiscenter.com, crediblecatholic.com, and purposefuluniverse.com. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on the EW10 On Demand page and on our EW10 YouTube channel. In addition to all of the television programs you'll find on our On Demand page, you'll also find your favorite EW10 radio programs as well, Open Line, Called to Communion, the doctor is in also there, free and available. Also, check out our podcast page uh, for all of the EWTN programs on radio and also many other podcasts featured by Catholic uh, hosts. And our topic today, Satan Customizes His Temptations from Father Spitzer's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. Hopefully you already have it from EWTN. If not, definitely think about picking it up before father's next load of books shows up. He's got a bunch of other books coming up, so you got to buy that one now so you can get prepared to buy the other ones. The book of the month, though, for us is our own Dr. Ray Garendi, taught by 10, a psychologist, father, learns from his children. Uh, that should be interesting because Dr. Ray is always interesting and he's got a really interesting family and a great story and always having great stories. We have our own Father Spitzer out on the West Coast. Great to see you, Father. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Doug. You want to kick everything off with a prayer? That'd be great. Absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Absolutely. It's great to see you, Father. And, uh, of course, I'll be seeing you, hopefully, in about a month or so, because we've got our EWTN family celebration coming up on October 1st all day long. And we're going to have a special uh, Spitzer's Universe live show we're doing that night with a lot of guests, a lot of EWTN personalities from TV and radio will be joining us. So people can check that out. That's in Phoenix. So you're going to be there. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, on Saturday, October 1st, uh, we'll be doing our, uh, as you said, our live show. And it'll be a regular show with you and me starting off. And then we'll bring in uh, a whole bunch of other wonderful uh, people, Mitch Pacwa and uh, many of the good uh, uh, EWTN hosts that you'll all recognize. So I look forward to seeing all of you there. And uh, hopefully uh, uh, you can uh, participate in the live show there in Phoenix, as well as participate in all the good uh, conferences. I'll be uh, doing a, 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 a speech, a talk on uh, the Shroud of Turin, the science in the Shroud of Turin. So look forward to right. seeing you. Yeah, part of our radio conference. And also what will be great for people there is the fact you'll be signing, uh, you'll be at the book table as an author, so people will be able to come up and talk to you uh, when they purchase Absolutely. your book to get, uh, get uh, your, you to uh, sign them. Uh, their book for them. So that's great. And also the meet and greet. So there'll be lots of opportunity 
for those of us who, uh, I will say this in all humility for you, who love Father Spitzer and would like to see him in person and get the chance to talk to him, and that'll be a great opportunity. October 1st in Phoenix. You can go to EW10's website to find out more about uh, our family celebration. Always a lot of fun. A uh, couple of uh, stories out there. Some can be fun. These not so much fun, but I thought it was an interesting uh, analogy here. Uh, it's an article from the Register, but it was an interview with uh, Father Mike Schmitz, who's very, very got a very, very popular uh -huh. podcast. Uh, you know, and and the story talks about the Catholic Church is not only against abortion, but is also for life. Is his point? And then he uses an example, which I thought was interesting. Abortion is like a gunshot wound, he says. It requires immediate attention. If an overweight person goes into an ER with a gunshot wound, you're not going to say, okay, we need to get you a, on a regime of diet and exercise, okay? It's like, no, you're mm -hmm. bleeding out. After we take care of that, we'll address the underlying health issues. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Father Schmitz is right on the mark. Um, we definitely... Um, our, focus our attention on abortion because it is the gunshot wound. It literally is the murder of an innocent uh, child. And so we do want to uh, bring that under control. We want to stop it and stop the proliferation of it, certainly. And so uh, the Catholic Church sometimes gets, uh, you know, pasted mm -hmm. with, uh, um, you know, that brush of uh, being, you know, solely focused on the issue, but we are, of course, focused like a laser beam on this right. issue because it's so important. Nevertheless, our whole agenda is to foster life and not just to foster imminence of life, but transcendence uh, in life because we are transcendent beings made in the image and likeness of God, destined for eternity, destined for perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. And we are not simply uh, oriented toward mm -hmm. gratifying ourselves in some sensual way in this lifetime or gratifying our egos, but rather of making a difference to the people around us, of trying to make a contribution to the kingdom of God, of trying to, with every fiber of our being, foster good and foster love and, and foster the truth mm -hmm. in, in the culture that we live in, as well as our families and our friends and our communities, our organizations, etc. So, uh, yeah, of course we're pro-life and we have a huge agenda for promoting the highest forms mm -hmm. of purpose in life in order so that we might truly not only be fulfilled in ourselves, but fulfilled according to what the Creator and the Redeemer, Christ our Lord, intended us for. So, uh, yes, we are definitely mm -hmm. a pro-life church. But, yes, we are laser beam focused on the issue of murdering innocent people. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, surely uh, we wouldn't have been blamed for being laser beam focused either, uh, trying to eliminate genocide right. uh, during the time of World War II. I mean, uh, that's just, uh, you know, a very uh, uh, typical thing. Right, and now we're looking uh, at moving into chemical abortions, which are directly tied to what was happening in Nazi Germany during yeah. the 30s and the 40s. So with the eugenics <laughs> movement that uh, mm -hmm. was highly financed by a lot of very wealthy Americans. My people may not be yes, that. that is true. Yep, so. and of course uh, we know there was even collaboration uh, with uh, Margaret Sanger for a while right. there. Uh, who was uh, a very much a central part of the American eugenics movement, not right. just birth control, but the eugenics movement. 
Right, right, exactly. Population controls in there as well. Yep. Here's another story. Uh, you know, obviously with the Dobbs decision and uh, certain votes happening in different states. So, uh, mm -hmm. U.S. House Speaker, the story says uh, Nancy Pelosi, who portrays herself or represents herself as a beautiful Catholic, called restricting abortion sinful on Women's Equality Day <laughs> in contradiction to her Catholic faith. That's the story. And the quote is, the fact that this is such an assault, this is... Uh, that overturning Roe v. Wade is an assault on women of color and women of lower income families. It's just sinful. It's sinful, the Democrat from California said during a reproductive health panel on August the 26th. So this is very recent. It's wrong that they would be able to say to women that they think women should be doing with their lives and their bodies, but it's sinful, the injustice of it all. That's sinful. Let me see if I have this right. It's not sinful to decapitate a perfectly viable baby uh, just because it happens to be in utero. That's okay. But it's not okay to try and restrict abortions, uh, be, you know, because uh, you think that people of lower income will not be able to afford those, uh, uh, you know, those, those children. If they cannot afford those children, of course, uh, you know, we have programs in the United States uh, to try and help them right. to afford those children. We have programs in the Catholic Church to help them through our Catholic charities to try and afford those children. We have programs that, I mean, they, that can help them uh, give the baby up if they so choose uh, for adoption, where they can have, I mean, the, the waiting list is five years long uh, to, to try and get a baby through adoption because abortion has been so, quote unquote, efficient uh, in its outcomes. Mm. And, and of course, we have programs galore uh, that can help to address that problem of not being able to afford a child or not having, uh, you know, the resources uh, to uh, afford that child, um, to give them opportunities that they need. We have specific programs addressed to that. We don't have to kill the infants in order to give them good opportunities or give the families good opportunities uh, uh, for the, the child. I mean, the idea of, well, the, the way to, to get to justice for families who cannot afford the children that they have is not to help them with resources, um, you know, to help them raise their child. It's to help them kill their children. That, that, let me see if I have this right. She's got a very, very peculiar notion of sin. Mm -hmm. And it certainly is not one that the Catholic Church would ever align itself with, ever, ever, because it's the most unjust, unprioritized, illogical, irrational, crazy notion of, of sinfulness I have ever heard. No, no, I don't think we agree with that view of sin. And and I'm afraid to, to say that uh, um, it, it is really, it is so inside out. You can tell the very spirit that is inciting that kind of duplicity and mm. that kind of sophistry. You know the spirit there and is not the Holy Spirit. Right. And it's interesting, too, because in the world we're living in now, there's lots of elections and and referendums are put up. And obviously, our the present president of the United States, who also is Catholic, quote unquote, um, 
uh, is promoting the idea of, of codifying Roe v. Wade now. They want to make it uh, the law of the land through the legislature. Um, and so people have to realize when you're voting, uh, you're not voting for people who can't really impact what happens in the Supreme Court because of the, you know, the, it's, if it's really a right that's in the Constitution. But you directly are impacting whether in, or not there's going to be abortions in your state or in your country. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's another attempt to, you know, subvert uh, true democracy. In other words, uh, the court returned, um, you know, uh, the, the power of deciding this moral uh, question to the states so that the citizenry of those states could determine it. And it's just another way of doing an end run around it, of trying to undermine, uh, you know, again, democracy, the, uh, you know, within the state's rights within the Constitution, and of course the end runs around states' rights in the Constitution uh, that are already provided for uh, in that same Constitution. Uh, that's the unconstitutional uh, point of view, and that's why I think any such legislation will be challenged, because I do think now that the Supreme Court has said there is no such right to an abortion, mm -hmm. in, in view of that fact, uh, now uh, there can be no recourse uh, for a legislative end run around the state's rights, which are guaranteed in that constitution. Mm -hmm. So I think um, I think th this is going to be challenged, right. uh, you know, till the cows come home. So um, right. Uh, but I think it's uh, important know, with that for for people out there now to realize that you know you do have a voice, a direct voice in how that's handled oh, in yeah. your state. And if you've oh. been hiding behind the idea that, well, I really can't do anything about it because it's the law of the land, that's gone. So now you got to face it, up to what do you really believe? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, in fact, uh, uh, you know, sorry, I didn't recognize quite the direction of the question, mm -hmm. but I, uh, I, I get it. Um, you know, the, the point that I would make uh, mm -hmm. uh, clearly is that this upcoming election is going to be really, really important and trying to get pro-life um, uh, legislators, uh, not just in the, um, the Congress, um, not just in the Senate, but also very much in the state governments, right, right. not just the governor's office, but in the state legislatures as well. I think this is going to be absolutely critical, and we do have a voice, and we need to express our voice, and we now more than ever, we can't be passive. The power has been put back into the hands of the states. It has not been adequately challenged uh, by the federal government or any initiative uh, that is being put forward uh, by President Biden or anyone else. So mm -hmm. my thought would be, please, you know, of all the times, you know, uh, this is the time uh, to be sure to get out not only and exercise your right to vote, uh, even where you think that it may not uh, do any good in a state that you think um, this may not happen. Right. Remember, we're dealing with even state legislative people where this could really matter. And so I think we just need to be right. truly looking at the first priority that the USCCB, the United States Council of Catholic Bishops, has established. And that first priority is to look for that pro-life right. uh, candidate as you're culling through um, the various candidates um, uh, in your not only uh, federal elections, but in your state right. elections. And as you say, with the state elections, especially if you're talking about in the state legislature, you're talking about incredibly small numbers many times 
in yeah. who are actually voting for a particular district. And so it doesn't take a lot yeah. to help swing it, as, as we saw in Florida with a lot of the yes. school board elections uh, when people the, focused on what was going on. That's right. And so for so long, we have treated uh, the federal elections as if it's everything. And, you know, ah, the state elections. I mean, who's that guy anyway? You right, know, and so right. forth and so on. And, and uh, the point is, uh, I think we really now have to, you know, in conscience, be looking at right. those state elections because a lot of things uh, regarding the culture of life are going to be determined uh, by those uh, state legislators. Uh, legislatures. Right. So please, please. Uh, get involved, uh, get informed, look at who's there, who is pro-life, and, and even the initiatives that are going to be coming forward to, look at those initiatives. Uh, some of them are, of course, anti-life, some of them are pro-life, mm -hmm. and uh, boy, you know, looking at the Kansas initiative, that was sure confusing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you basically are voting yes to vote no and no to vote yes, and ridiculously put, you know, but the... Uh, uh, the, the key thing is we got to just be very, very well informed and, and to do uh, the best that we can um, to, uh, right. to try and get pro-life uh, legislators into uh, our government. Right, absolutely. Speaking of conscience or lack therein of, uh, mm -hmm. there's an article here talking about Canada is euthanizing its sick and poor. Welcome to the world of government health care is this particular title, so obviously it's got a perspective. But it mentions the fact mm -hmm. uh, in a recently reported horror story from the Associated Press, a particular gentleman, and Alan Nichols, was successfully killed after a quick one-month waiting period after he suffered from hearing loss. Nichols was otherwise a decently healthy guy, but his brother claimed he, he was railroaded into killing himself. Nichols' family said the hospital staff helped him request euthanasia and pushed him to do it, a story that has been repeated many times by other disabled or sick Canadians and uh, goes on to statistically say Canadian federal data shows that 10,064 people died in 2021 by medically assessed assisted suicide. That's a jump of 32 percent from the year before. Yeah, well, there it is. I mean, uh, uh, we're facing, I guess, um, a brave new world and um, uh, no, no, I guess about it. It is a brave new world. Uh, you know, I predicted almost, uh, oh, five years ago, uh, as we were kind of moving into these initiatives, um, pro-death initiatives and uh, pro-assisted suicide initiatives, I suggested that this would be exactly the case, that uh, when you start having government funding, um, you know, of your medical insurance and there is no restraint on the government or the medical staff as to what they can say regarding a person who has hearing loss uh, basically being brought to uh, a, um, a uh, uh, you know, the point of asking for suicide or being railroaded in this way. Uh, you know, I, I think we're just asking for it. There's no restraints. Mm -hmm. Once you have let the assisted suicide, uh, you know, cat out of the bag, what's going to happen next? Once you kind of let these, uh, um, you know, these initiatives go and you put no restraints on the doctors, no restraints on the insurance companies, no restraints on the government uh, who in the, in the case of Canada is running the insurance company, right. I mean, you are literally letting these terrible incidents, and this is going to be the tip of the iceberg, 
I can see the manipulation coming. Mm -hmm. It may be done more subtly than it was done in that particular right. instance, and it might be uh, more uh, better covered up. Oh, you can be assured it will be better covered up in the future. I shouldn't be so cynical, <laughs> but it will be uh, better covered up. But at the end of the day, mm -hmm. uh, it'll be uh, out there in force. Uh, I'm sorry, you got a stiff arm, you know, uh, maybe you want to commit uh, suicide. That's that's one of your options, right. and and uh, you know it might be actually easier on your family. Uh, I can tell you, you know, your medical burden may be this amount of money uh, with your government insurance. So, you know, just think about it. You know, I mean, uh, stiff arm for the rest of your life or an instant uh, reprieve. And uh, but it's the same logic that that fuels the abortion thing. Well, you, uh, it's better right, to. Right. Uh, to you know that you be dead than uh, have a government uh, program uh, help your family right. um, to to get the resources they need to raise you. Right, that's, and that's and, our and, logic. And we you know we see it with insurance companies in the United States certainly with what's going on and with our government health insurance programs. You know and the new math likes to act like somehow there's there's new ways of making money, but the reality is that yeah. you know if you're covering more people for more things with the same amount of money somehow something's got to give and usually yep. what gives is the older people who they determine their product productivity is on the way out or people who the yeah. government determines aren't as important to the future Oh yeah, I mean this has always been the tendency. Mm -hmm. I mean it's not. This goes way back before Nazi Germany. Right. This goes all the way back to, you know, um, uh, the beginning of, you know, you know, the civilization. And certainly, you know, the Romans uh, had their capacity to sort of encourage suicide. Mm -hmm. The old expression, "Better to be dead than the living dead," mm -hmm. and uh, Walker Percy had it so beautifully. Uh, oriented in that book, The Second Coming, uh, where, you know, he portrays, you know, that whole idea of, of uh, you know, assisted suicide uh, because of the uh, old Stoic philosophy. When you get to that point where you're just not the old, you know, self that you used to have, which I'm certainly not, you know, uh, zooming around independently and doing mm -hmm. this and that, you know, uh, why, why bother with life anymore? What possible good might you have? I mean, right. just as a grandfather or grandmother and the, the love, the empathy, the forgiveness and the goodness that you portray by your very being, the faith that you demonstrate by your very being, that's not good enough. Uh, you, you have to have a much more solid purpose in life. Mm. Uh, we want you to be making that big old contribution that you made when you were 30 and that's 40 right. years old at the peak of your quote-unquote productivity right. yeah so well this is the problem right here you know you can see that uh, uh, the logic uh, uh, goes back you know way before the Romans That's it right. goes how, back to the Spartans how many utilities you know. do you have how much how much what's yeah. your utilitarian uh, yeah. value yeah, well, to the exactly. culture you know exactly. exactly all right let's yep. get to some questions uh, for some people before the break got about six or seven minutes before the break uh, here's a nice one, dear Father Spitzer and Doug. Hey, I'm a new Catholic having become a member at this year's Easter Vigil at 69. I'm a little late to the church, but I do love her. Your show and writings and EW10 as a whole were instrumental in my journey to the church. I merely want to say thank you. This is Rebecca. Oh, wow. And, and we thank Rebecca for, for, for finding, uh, you know, 
sticking with us and uh, keep praying for us and supporting us. And that's why Mother uh, started this thing back in 1981 for people oh, just wow. like Rebecca. So that's great. Oh, yeah, thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> okay, up next, uh, dear Father Spitzer, if there are 164 million Christians in the United States, why then is overturning Roe v. Wade so controversial? Various polls show that the majority of Americans support abortion rights. How can this be? Are there no atheists who believe abortion is wrong? Can you be a Christian and support abortion, or are the polls wrong? Mike. Well, here, Mike, I better give you some specification on the polls, but then mm -hmm. I want to answer your uh, general question. Uh, with respect to uh, the Gallup poll, yes, it is true that um, more Americans uh, today uh, favor abortion than, um, you know, uh, would, than would be in favor of prohibiting it. And that is, um, I believe it is 60% to 40% for the first trimester. Now, when you get to the second trimester, uh, that is to say the, the second three months of pregnancy, the statistic reverses itself mm -hmm. and it becomes 55% of Americans are against abortion in the second trimester uh, as compared to 32% that are in favor of it in the second trimester. This is the most recent 2022 Gallup poll. And then in the third trimester, uh, it is even more anti, and I believe it is 70 percent of Americans are against abortion in the third trimester. Only 20 percent are in favor of it in the third trimester, with the rest, of course, being um, unsure or mm -hmm. undetermined. So the uh, uh, clearly, most Americans are not in favor uh, of abortion. When the Gallup breakdown is looked there, um, they surely make a distinction mm -hmm. between second and third trimester. Now, I agree um, that first trimester, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, human beings, uh, pre-born human beings, are definitely um, human beings. Right. <laughs> and there's uh, no question about it, as I've said before, full human genome there, uh, specifically human zygote, which will give rise to every single cell in their body for the rest of their lives. I mean, clearly, the substance of a full human being is there, only the accidental development is left to go. But you could say that at any stage. Mm -hmm. You could say that one week after birth. You could say that one year after birth. The cells are still multiplying. The brain is still developing. Heck, the frontal cortex doesn't even fully develop until you're 20 years old. You're still multiplying cells and developing. So the substance, though, is the same throughout the entire course, right? At the, the, from the mm -hmm. very single-celled human zygote go attached, unattached, that's from the very moment of fertilization onward. You, it's the same substance that's there. It's just developing and unfolding more and more of what is in that initial substance. So the point of, um, you know, from the vantage point of the church is, yes, of course, first trimester kids are kids. Mm -hmm. They're human beings. They're specifically human substances. And as such, they are specifically human persons with specifically human rights. Now, um, am I going to win that argument just by giving that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, little uh, set of facts that I just gave you? Probably mm -hmm. not uh, in the initial stages. But let's start with this. 
the majority of Americans are against abortion in the second and third trimesters. So if we can start there right. and then start educating Americans and start showing them that the substance is the same, start showing them, uh, you know, that at 15 weeks this little baby can can basically cry tears, can feel pain, right? Mm -hmm. that, you know, the heartbeat is going on there at six weeks and brain waves are going on at the same time, um, you know, even at six weeks. Let's face facts, we can start to at least make a dent in that first trimester um, uh, dimension. Uh, with respect to your overall question, mm -hmm. um, you know, c can Christians, um, you know, uh, be in favor of abortion? Well, I would say no, mm -hmm. um, if I looked at the church fathers. So the Didache, uh, going back to 80 AD, right, one of the very first documents, um, uh, church documents that we have, which gives a set of moral teachings, uh, right, um, as well as other mm -hmm. teachings, doctrinal teachings in the church. The Didache says explicitly that abort abortion is very sinful mm -hmm. and gives the rationale for it. This goes back to 80 AD. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're still holding on to that tradition, which is reinforced again and again and again by church fathers right throughout the, 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 the centuries, if we are looking at this and taking it seriously, um, then of course the Protestant Reformation breaks with that tradition. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, the tradition from which their Christianity sprang is very, very clear about the fact that abortion is wrong. So the Catholic Church, certainly evangelical churches, certainly other Christian churches are against abortion, but not all Christian churches, um, at least those who call themselves mm -hmm. Christian, are against abortion, even though it breaks with that tradition that goes back to the first century uh, of the church's existence. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the, right. the key thing to say. And the abortion, the rationale is always the same. It is always objectively a sin to kill an innocent human being, and certainly to kill a helpless, innocent human being. It is a sin. We have to insist on that. And now that we have the genetic evidence, uh, now that we have the embryological evidence uh, to, to, to mm -hmm. shape the argument scientifically and definitively, mm -hmm. um, and by the way, as I've said before, uh, in an international survey involving uh, 5,700 um, you know, biologists uh, internationally, 96% um, uh, of those biologists said that a new unique human life begins at fertilization slash conception. Right. So that's the first Absolute. thing. The second thing in the U.S. poll, the U.S. poll, which gave a variety of different options. You know, you could choose a viability option. You could choose the birth option. You could choose another option, um, you know, that, that uh, uh, you know, would say um, uh, something along the lines of, you know, a fetal heartbeat or something right. of that nature, right? So given all these other options, as well as the fertilization conception option, 68% of those biologists, right. Right. Uh, and that was like, I forget what it was, 4,000 biologists or whatever it was, uh, all of them, uh, six, uh, excuse right. me, 68% of those biologists said that um, a new unique human being begins at conception fertilization. And we're going to have so this to, is not uh, a disputed scientific right, fact. Right, absolutely, and, and we know certainly yeah. one thing. Jesus Christ was against abortion. With that, we're yeah. going to take a break <laughs> and stay with us much more ahead with your questions here on Father Spitzer's Universe.
And we are back here in Father Spitzer's universe, heating things up with Father Spitzer. Satan customizes his temptations. I think he's working overtime in the world we live in today. It's from Father's <laughs> book, of course. Check that out and uh, make sure you get it because there's a bunch of other books on their way. Uh, here's uh, some more questions for you, Father. And this one kind of relates uh, appropriately to what we were talking about earlier with uh, the states. Dear Father Spitzer, why is it such a good thing to leave the question of abortion up to the states? Shouldn't the right to life be proclaimed as universal? All American babies live under the same constitution with the same right to life. So why is this a, a state decision, Cindy wants to know? Well, um, just to uh, go back into some constitutional law, by the way, it's a very good decision because in my view, uh, that preborn child has an inalienable right to life. Mm -hmm. And because that, right, if he's or she is really a, a unique human being and his or her substance is contained fully in that single-celled human zygote, which I think there is plenty of scientific evidence to um, uh, verify, to validate. If that is the case, then that child has the inalienable right to life. And an inalienable right means that no government can interfere with it. That right belongs to that child. That right belongs to that human being by his or her very nature, by their very existence, by their very humanity, by the fact that they're full human substance, their uniquely human substance is there. Now, if that is the case, and by the way, this was the exact uh, logic uh, that was used really uh, in the 14th Amendment mm -hmm. uh, as well um, regarding um, the slavery um, uh, um, area. Mm -hmm. the, the main point, though, of course, is slaves have an inalienable right to liberty. No state, no constitution can take that away. That is given by their very nature. And that's why, by the way, our uh, constitutional, in, our, our federal, you know, um, uh, uh, fathers mm -hmm. uh, of the Constitution, they basically did not declare inalienable rights in the Constitution. They left that for the Declaration of Independence. It's Jefferson who, in the Declaration of Independence, says, we hold these truths to be self evident mm -hmm. not to be declared by a constitution we hold them to be self-evident uh, that every human being by their uh, right uh, is is uh, uh, created uh, equal and is endowed by that creator with the inalienable you can't take them away right inalienable means you can't rip them out mm -hmm. right you can't no you know state has the right to take them away the inalienable rights to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's in the Declaration of Independence. Now let's go back to your question, because the constitutional question is very different. So in, in what mm -hmm. we have done in this country is we've basically um, eliminated, you know, implicitly the inalienable rights of the preborn. So now what at least the Supreme Court has done in Dobbs, and brilliantly so, is to nix the idea that abortion is a right, but, mm -hmm. the, but the right to life is not an inalienable right. I mean, th that illogicality at least is, has, has been eliminated by mm -hmm. Dobbs and by the brilliant Supreme Court decision. Now that, you know, uh, putting aside that for just a second, all that means then is still governments have a right to determine the fate of the preborn. Mm -hmm. 
So we haven't quite acknowledged the inalienable right to life of preborn human beings yet. We have to. We should. It belongs to them by their very nature. This is the position not only of the Catholic Church, it's the position of natural law. It's the position of rationality and logic. It is the position of objective ev and scientifically based evidence. So we, we should acknowledge this. But right now we're not there. So now uh, we, we, the governmental agencies or a plebiscite, mm -hmm. a vote, is going to determine whether or not the preborn have uh, the right to mm -hmm. protection of their life. And so, uh, um, you know, we have two options. We could do it on a fe federal-wide basis. And, of course, um, because mm -hmm. it has been turned over to the people, um, the, the federal um, a government has said, well, we're going to lodge it where it has always been. These kinds of determinations have always been made by the states because there's not universal agreement uh, in the United States, and we do not want to force every state and every population in every state to abide by a single standard. We will allow the states to make these determinations, just as we allow the states to make determinations for themselves regarding all kinds of other issues, you know, from really serious ones as to when a homicide uh, occurs, uh, all the way to really not so um, you know, uh, uh, serious ones, traffic laws, and so forth and so on. There is an autonomous uh, uh, set of rights for each community, states' rights, and uh, all the, the court did was turn it back to those states. Now, do I think um, that we should have, um, you know, a federal law? I don't think we need a federal law to protect human life across the board. I think the minute we acknowledge as a people that th this complete human substance is there at the stage of a single cell uh, zygote, I think at that moment, right, I, I think, uh, you know, if you declare that to, to really be true, then the inalienable right to life exists for that preborn human being. If an inalienable right exists, then mm -hmm. no government can take it away. No government can sanction the killing of that protected life. By the way, our very government is dependent upon this. The very logic of Jefferson to break away from the uh, from Britain, right, and and to take you know break away the colonial status and declare independence. The very right to do that is based on the fact of inalienable rights being violated. And, and you know this is uh, uh, you know such a brilliant argument on the part of Jefferson. He saw in John Locke's natural law um, uh, argument and natural rights argument. He saw the the basis you know for. Uh, um, for uh, declaring independence. Right. The, the government of Britain is violating the inalienable rights of not only life, but more importantly, in the, in the case of the revolution, right. liberty, liberty right, right in this case, uh, was being violated. And because the liberty rights are being violated, um, they right. declared that they had course, uh, independence. Today, from most people government. think the Constitution says libertinism, but that's okay. At least that's what we yeah. see in our society mostly. Here's another question yeah. coming to you. Dear Father Spitzer, what happens to the souls of an in vitro fertilization baby that's never implanted and not allowed to be born? Lynn. Yeah. 
Well, those souls, of course, exist. And um, uh, as I said, at the very uh, moment of, you know, of uh, fertilization, those souls exist, and God will take care of those souls. Uh, you know, as, just as he does, for, for example, the souls of miscarried babies. And um, you know, I'll just illustrate it with this, but I think you can make a very good case uh, for the ensoulment uh, at the stage of uh, single-celled zygote. I think you can make a very good case with Sir John Eccles uh, works on um, uh, the uh, evolution of the body, creation of the self, a very fine book. Uh, I think th that case can be made officially, but I'll just illustrate it with the example of this little kid, Colton um, uh, Burpo, who was a, um, uh, you know, uh, in this book, um, Heaven is for Real. Now, you might say, well, that's just an anecdote. Yes, but if you want a good case, uh, I've got it coming up in my new book that's coming out next month. Uh, or should maybe maybe this month in mm -hmm. September, uh, um, uh, just in uh, upcoming month in September, right. um, it uh, it's going to be uh, a very I think uh, interesting mm -hmm. uh, case that you can establish. But uh, here's the main thing to remember: Colton Burpo's uh, little sister was miscarried at about two months, and um, of course he was only four years old when he had his near-death experience, so he. Uh, he basically, for a moment, sort of slips away. He dies. Um, at least his his, uh, his uh, uh, you know he experiences this bodily death. He he uh, he goes away and has a heavenly experience. He meets God. He meets Jesus. But he also meets his little sister, and um, he doesn't even know you know who she is. She just comes up and hugs him, and she says, "Well, I'm your sister." And of course, he says, "No, no, you're <laughs> you're not my sister. Mm -hmm. My sister is you know back there on." on earth, you know, uh, who are you? And uh, she says, well, uh, I am your little sister too, but I died in our mother's uh, uh, tummy. And uh, he goes, what? So he basically gets the full lowdown from her. And then he returns, right? They were able to resuscitate him. Uh, he comes back into his body. And um, then uh, later on, he uh, he's sitting there at the dinner table with his mother. And uh, while he's there, he says, you know, Mommy, I, I, I met my sister. And he, mm. she goes, well, what's the big deal? She's right here. And he, uh, he goes, no, I, not that sister. I, right. I met my other sister uh, in, in, uh, in heaven. And he goes, oh, she goes, oh. Uh, she goes, well, what's her name? Oh, uh, you and Daddy didn't name her because you didn't know uh, whether she was a boy or a girl. But she said she was in your tummy and you lost her, but she wanted to say she's okay and to tell you. And of course, the mother by this time is floored right. because Colton at four years old didn't know anything about this and certainly wouldn't have known anything about this uh, unless um, you know uh, the, she, he really met the sister in, in that heavenly kingdom. So all I'm saying is if you don't think pre-utero people have right. a soul, uh, just think twice because they probably Absolutely. do. And, uh, and I think, like I said, Sir John Eccles can make a good case for it. And um, my, my main point, though, is I think God takes care of every one of those babies Absolutely. in his own way, in his heavenly kingdom. And so uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, we, obviously we right. would like their life to be protected. We would like their life to have the dignity that it is accorded. But as you know, you're just right. going through these in vitro fertilization processes and you're just annihilating right. these little- And, and, and um, that's why it's important uh, for people to understand uh, there are reasons why the church is not in favor of people doing these things. In vitro fertilization, absolutely. In, in the first place, because you do end up in these kind of 
conundrums. I got one last question before we get to the sure. book. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, many years ago, my brother dabbled in the occult, told fortunes, conjured spirits, engaged in other satanic practices. He told me I would die at age 69 from pneumonia, which I would develop after I fall and break my hip. I did not ask for this, but can this be a curse on me? I'll be 69 this November. Can household evil infect those who are devout believers, Susan? I wouldn't put one penny's worth of trust in that prediction. Because guess who is behind the occult? Yep, it's the evil spirit, the prince of lies himself. So, yeah, I mean, anything that comes from an occult prediction, let's put the first things first. That is a pr very probably a lie. Might be a truth every once in a while. You know, the devil will tell the truth, but more often it's lies. So the first thing is, is I wouldn't put a cent of prediction on that, and I would just, you know, as the, the kids used to say, just blow it away. You know, it's just not, uh, it, that, that's not worth the, uh, you know, the voice that was right. spent on it. The second thing is, is could that be a curse? Listen, all you need to say, uh, if you are scared of any kind of a curse, is right in the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to say that, all you need to say is, Lord Jesus, Saint Michael, pray for me, protect me, help me, should this have been some kind of a curse on me. And that's all you need to say. Mm -hmm. They're going to protect you. They hear you. They, right. they know that Jesus knows your faith. St. Michael knows your faith. Of course it's good to pray. Pray for that protection uh, against uh, spirits and pray uh, for that protection against any kind of a curse. They have no power over you if you give them no credence. Just don't give them credence. Mm -hmm. Don't get scared by them. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as you know, was exercising. Look at our gospel reading yesterday. Right. Exercising demons one right after the next. So you you, you don't have to worry. He's right. got complete power over the demons. Right. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you from your baptism is just perfectly got power right. over the demons. You have nothing to worry about. Right. Just blow it away. Right. That being said, don't go wandering around in the snow in November with bare feet or yeah. anything else <laughs> right. uh, and entice getting pneumonia. That wouldn't be a good idea yeah. either. We have to rely on the Lord, no. but also our, our common sense and reason, right? So from your yeah, book, right. uh, uh, talking about how the devil works on page 231, you talk about the evil one, the preparation for effective temptations. The evil one must plan to interrupt the process in childhood. What is this process in childhood that he's trying to interrupt? Well, you know, the whole idea um, is, you know, that anytime you can make a child feel, uh, as it were, insecure, anytime you can make them feel unloved, even though uh, you can, uh, you know, uh, any way he can basically make that child believe, you know, in their, um, in their childlike way, because they, they do conceive of things very differently from the way adults do, you can uh, make them believe that maybe God doesn't love them or something of that nature. Uh, if you can interrupt that, that's the great time to start for mm -hmm. the evil spirit, because you know he gets the most, uh, you know, play for the for the buck there, mm -hmm. right? He basically you throw in a a few really errant uh, uh, thoughts, you throw in a few errant doctrines, and you know kids will believe what they hear 
from uh, their adult uh, mentors, from their parents. And yeah. so any interruption like that can be very, very helpful. Or just not taking a child to church, right? A, a sin of omission, as it were. Or having the father not reinforce, right, the religious belief. And we know how important uh, it is for the father to, to reinforce belief. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, these, these are really important um, things that the child needs uh, in order to have a really healthy spiritual life, in order to make it, uh, you know, to the point where they can be what we call people of the second week. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, all I can say is uh, uh, the, the devil's going to try as early as he can to upset that whole uh, con continuity of faith, that whole sense of security and love, and try as best he can to fill a child with resentment mm -hmm. or some sort of, you know, uh, a sense of deprivation or sense of jealousy. Anything he can do uh, to make uh, things miserable, uh, he certainly will do because it gets mm -hmm. so much play throughout adolescence and the rest of that uh, person's adulthood. Yeah, you talk about the, the fact of the, with respect to undermining religious commitment, the evil one prefers to undermine all religious commitment. Therefore, he puts considerable effort into preventing people from attending church regularly. That's especially if we're talking about with children starting off, why it's so important for the parents to make sure that they live it out, but that they, they take their children with them. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I would say that, uh, you know, that whole idea of taking, you know, kids to church, for me, it was utterly formative. Yeah. Um, you know, and just knowing that my dad went to church was important uh, because I could see he was a believer and, and, and uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, he was not a, a Catholic, um, but he was definitely a believer. And, and um, uh, you know, seeing that and seeing his commitments and then when he would accompany us to church on occasion for the, as they say, Christmas, etc. Uh, you know, that was important to me, but that he attended his own church and he cared about his own church and he served in his own church, that, you know, very much oriented me uh, toward my own faith. And of course, my mother was a daily communicant mm -hmm. and I would be remiss uh, in saying that, uh, you know, her influence was very deep on me, her commitment her belief in the love mm -hmm. of Christ mm -hmm. and as well as responsibility, moral responsibility that we had to him. And I, I saw all of these things and, and it was modeled for me. Mm -hmm. And later, of course, I had my time when I went through my rationalist phase. But uh, even during the rationalist phase, I never stopped going to church. I mean, I questioned a lot of things, and I went on a campaign to hunt mm -hmm. for evidence for everything starting with God all the way through Jesus, and that did me a lot of good for the long term, and I'm glad I was very assiduous. I'm glad I went to a Catholic college, uh, you know, to basically, you know, because I got formed, mm -hmm. you know, in, in so many ways rationally during that collegiate experience. So all these things happened, but I think the Holy Spirit just kind of led me through it but uh, we have to take, uh, uh, you know, we can't just say, oh, the Holy Spirit will help out my child. Right, right. We've got to be active participa uh, participants in and, making and sure those And a lot of people children... thought, I think, in, in, uh, because of the previous generations of Catholic, thought, well, this is all really being handled, you know, through the schools and through CCD and going to a Catholic school. And we found that that wasn't necessarily the case and that it's even that much more important today for parents to be involved. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think the, the reinforcement from Catholic schools, especially, you know, the Catholic elementary schools, um, is really, really important. But people say, well, in the later years, it doesn't so much matter. It really does matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think high school is exceedingly important uh, if you can send uh, your child there or get education equivalent, uh, you know, like through catechesis. Um, you know, if you can't send your uh, children to a Catholic high school, at least get them right. the um, equivalent of that education through catechism, confirmation, uh, or other kinds of programs. You could even click on CredibleCatholic.com and take your child through those seven essential right. modules. Uh, it will really help them when they get to wow. college. I can promise you that. Absolutely, and it's good if it's a Catholic high school. Make sure it's Catholic before you send yep, your kid there. That's right. uh, one last that's question right. before we wrap things up. If the evil one fails to prevent a person from committing himself to a church community, he will then try to persuade them to commit to a church community that has no religious or moral nuance, a spiritual church that has no doctrine or morals. That's right. I mean, that's the second best option, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the second best option is to basically uh, try and get you to say, oh, uh, God's a very nice guy and he's a nice spiritual presence in your life and you can just come here and uh, get a sense of God's goodness and, and love but there's no accountability to anything you have no responsibility to a moral code you have no responsibility to a moral agency outside of yourself basically you are free and uh, now uh, you might say well isn't that just great then the child will grow up with a real sense of a sort of boundaryless autonomy yep and the odds of that child with the boundaryless autonomy uh, you know first of all uh, his emotional or her emotional stability right in the long run uh, you know if, if children don't have boundaries when they are young they really pay for it mm -hmm. not just in terms of moral conduct or their ability to form their conscience going into the future they pay for it emotionally they pay for it spiritually they are not as spiritually committed they are not as emotionally healthy as those who did experience boundaries you know you look at children you know i mean uh, you know, it, just even religious commitment itself. I've given the statistic a million times, right? Non-religiously affiliated people, people who don't have a church, have double, triple the amounts of uh, depression, anxiety, suicides, suicidal ideation, substance abuse, familial tensions, uh, impulse, uh, impulsivity, antisocial aggressivity, right? I mean, like double and triple the amount just because they're not religious. Mm. I mean, and then you say, oh, uh, well, you know, uh, let's suppose, okay, I gave them some religion. I took them to church on Christmas and Easter to my, uh, my church that has a warm and fuzzy feeling, but no <laughs> moral content. I took them to the New Age church or whatever, and uh, that has no uh, moral substance uh, whatsoever. That child will have no boundaries. And as I said before, moral boundaries have three really important effects on children. Number one, spiritual effects. Children who have moral boundaries when they are younger have a much stronger religious belief when they are older. Number two, children who have moral boundaries when they are younger are much more stable emotionally than when um, than those um, 
uh, who do not have those right. religious boundaries when they are younger. And finally, relationally, children who have boundaries when they are younger have much better relationships when they are older. Those boundaries, that sense of what you can do and can't do uh, with respect to others, right. that sense of respect for others. And we've just run up against our own boundary of time here, Father, so we're going to need you <laughs> to kind of uh, give us your blessing, all right? Okay, absolutely. Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may Almighty God send His Spirit down upon you, the Spirit of Christ our Lord, the Spirit that knows at once responsibility and love, the Spirit that at once trusts and knows that one cannot choose the road to perdition, the Spirit that guides us with such great assiduousness and love and conscientiousness toward the good, toward love, and toward the truth bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. God bless. We shall see you next week. Don't forget about Father Spitzer's books, all available at Religious Catalog. We've got some uh, a topic coming up next week as we continue here with uh, his book. We've also got, obviously, those books and DVDs available. We also have a bookmark coming up that I've got coming up with Sister Breege McKenna, Miracles Do Happen, God Can Do the Impossible. It's a great, great book. And we've got the beatification of Pope John Paul I, uh, Sunday, 4.30 a.m. Eastern, with an encore at 7 p.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN. Thank you so much. We shall see you next time in Father Spitzer's Universe.